you know, you might work a little on something that you don't view as related to this other part of your life, Mm -hmm. but it is going to affect you. And yeah, and we're very complex beings and interconnected. So yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Cordell. Welcome to the Upward Acts podcast, where we give you the tools, insights, and techniques to help you deliberately enter an upward spiral of well-being. This is season two, so we're interviewing a bunch of creative professionals, which always lead to epic conversations. You just heard at the top, Rebecca Haas. She's a creative wellness coach, a pianist, a composer living in Oakland, California. And uh, as a coach, she helps ambitious, creative people self-compassionately reduce overwhelm and avoid burnout so that they have the energy to do the work that matters most to them. And as a musician, she specializes in Brazilian and her compositions span a variety of topics from samba grooves to crime-fighting manatees, which you can hear on her album Floresher uh, Bloom. She also hosts the podcast Being a Whole Person about self-care and wellness for creative people. So obviously she had to come hang out with me because all of those things are awesome in this conversation we got into a bunch of really interesting things we spent a bunch of time talking about fractal patterns in nature that actually show up in our own creativity and our personal development Uh, we talked a lot about self-care routines and how they impact our mental health and our creative work and we even got into how to find the things that spark our interests and our excitement so if any of those things sound interesting to you then don't go anywhere Uh, yeah, I got to check out a little bit of your podcast as well. I wish I would have listened to more because I really liked what I've heard so far. I figured we could Thanks. chat about that a little bit. Has yeah, that podcast sure. been taking up a bunch of your time lately or is it just like one of your side projects? Um... It depends on how I batch it together. Yeah, I've been I've trying been to kind of do out. it in yeah. batches with the solo episodes because every fourth episode is an interview. That's how I've been doing it nice. ever since. I don't know if you went back in the archives, but like it used to be hosted with me and someone else, and it was all interviews and it was more about like creative business. And now that mm-hmm. it's just mine, that's how I've been doing it. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's a little, depending. I found the same thing. My first season was all just kind of me chatting about different topics and themes. And now second season, I'm just doing all interviews the whole Mm -hmm. way through. Um, And I don't know what the third season is going to be like yet. I guess we'll kind of see. I might do like an edited thing or like a mixture. But yeah, have you found that like every fourth episode as an interview is like a really good kind of routine for you? Kind of it like feels good so far. Out the two. Yeah, yeah, it feels good because interviews are so much more editing. Yeah. So I <laughs> knew that I didn't want to do all interviews because when Lexi and I started at the beginning, we didn't know like who was going to be interested in it. We just were each like, we'll just each email 10 people. And then suddenly we had 13 interviews planned in the span of two weeks. And we were Dang. like, oh, no. back to back to back. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to have just one a week. And even now I'm like, another interview. <laughs> uh, yeah. Back in it. I've really enjoyed it so far though. Um, it is a little bit more editing, but I've also found I, I do less planning. Like when I was doing just yeah. me speaking, um, I would like have a bunch of notes and like really plan out the particular ideas and takeaways that I wanted. And with these, I'll have like a general gist, but really that's the beauty of having an entire other brain 
<laughs> involved is I can kind yeah. of like bounce ideas off and just see where they go. Yeah, and I it's find been the really same fun thing so far. It's like, is the work on the front end or the back end? Yeah. There you go. Makes sense. I'm really excited to talk to you about um, your podcast is called Being a Whole Person. And this podcast on right now is called the Upward Acts podcast. And Upward Acts refers to like uh, an upward spiral that people can get into. And really, that's how I see a lot of my own coaching practice is helping people recognize the upward spirals that are existing and kind of get into them on purpose in a bunch of different ways. Um, and kind of seeing how different systems in our lives can perpetuate other systems. So for example, as soon as our relationships start to thrive a little bit more and we've got more support and engagement and a sense of belonging, all of a sudden our physical bodies will start to feel a little bit healthier and we've got more energy. And then that makes it easier for us to get active, which helps us like build those communities again. And so like they upward spiral each other. The same thing happens with like mindfulness and emotions and all kinds of these different themes and seeing how they boost each other up, almost like the antithesis of depression yeah, has been really exciting for me. Word upward spiral. I haven't. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's totally both. And yeah, most people are familiar with the downward spiral, but the, the kind of quote unquote physics of the spirals are totally the same. Um, as well as a lot of developmental psychologists tend to think of developing through our life stages as a sense of a spiral. Um, so I don't know. It seems really fitting. But I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about how much overlap that has with your idea of being a whole person. Like, I'm sure there's like a lot of overlap since we're so similar in so many ways. Yeah. But I bet there's some interesting distinctions as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I definitely do think about personal growth as being spiralic. <laughs> I know. I like um, I didn't make that up. I got it from Lindsay Mack, who teaches about tarot and. Um, her podcast, Tarot for the Wild Soul, has been really cool. Not just because of learning about tarot, but just they're almost like they're not religious, but they're almost like little sermons mm-hmm. on like how you can as a person. And I don't think she would use that word, but I really enjoy it. And she introduced me to that term, and it, it makes total sense to me because like we continue to grow, but that doesn't mean that we never come back to the same lessons. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to come back, but we're like on outer layer the next yeah. time and we're experiencing it in a different way. And we're a little more. Yeah. I love that. I've, I've been really enamored by this idea of like the universe is kind of made of fractals in a lot of ways. And it's a, a kind of like almost obvious truth for a lot of different fields, like in mathematics or physics kind of seeing um, like a fractal type of image or a fractal pattern happens is, is really natural. Same thing with like ecology, like different plants and ecosystems. You see this kind of like fractal pattern where it'll repeat certain shapes or patterns or images or lines. And the idea that you can see fractals showing up in development just like really kind of blew my mind a while ago. And I've always been kind of looking out for these patterns. And that's kind of what it made me think of when you're saying like we come back to certain things, that's exactly how a lot of fractal systems work. It's like huh. you'll kind of see something that's already happened. Um, kind of like how we have, I don't know, like some examples I've been thinking of a lot because I just moved to DC. Um, so I've been seeing a lot of government stuff. And there's like fractals where you've got like your city government and then like your kind of state government and county or like federal government and global governments. But they're going through these really similar things and similar processes, even though they're distinct, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, they're kind of so, built on each other. Yeah, they're built on top of each other. And so trying to find fractals in like individual development or like ego development or the development of skills has been insane for me. Like even in music, like growing as a musician, I find these like fractally things where like I knew how to do this 10 years ago and all of a sudden I'm like coming back to it. I'm like, whoa, you see it through a new lens, but you're still practicing it. (laughs) Like I've been practicing just consistent eighth notes on piano, which I'm excited to talk to you about piano as well because like you're one of the only other musician-based creativity coaches (laughs) that I've found so far. We're like so rare. We are. I'm and not so, sure why, but I don't know why either. Cool. We're out there. We'll We're out here. here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I've only begun taking piano seriously for the last about a year or so. Drumming is my main thing. So I've spent so many hours, like hundreds of hours, practicing consistent eighth notes in the drumline marching percussion world. We call it eights or eight on a hand. And it's literally just eight, like a whole bar of eighth notes on one hand, a whole bar of eighth notes on the other hand. You do that eight times and you do that forever. until you're really good and so I just spent so much time on that I just feel so comfortable but now I'm doing it with individual fingers and I find myself just playing like g g g g g g g g a a a a a but now I'm doing it like on a piano that's hooked into like um you know it's midied into my digital audio workshop that's plugged into a synthesizer that's sound design that I created for like a really elaborate song that's part of a music studio and it's like way more advanced than when I was just like hitting a drum in eighth grade. But I find myself (laughs) still just sitting there like one and two and three and four and and just really focusing. So there's so many things that you can focus on. I mean, like that's really simple, right? When you think about it as a rhythm that they're all the same, but like, are you going to play them all the same? Are you trying to play them evenly? Are you going to crescendo? Are you going to focus on your wrist movement. Like there's mm-hmm. a million things you can think about while you're doing that supposedly simple thing. So exactly. yeah, I feel that. <laughs> it's endless. All right. So does that fractally stuff, I, I tend to bounce around ideas a lot. I hope you're okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure it's totally cool. Um, but does that like kind of fractal aspect of growth or development or just like how the universe works, does that factor into your idea of being a whole person as well? Like, is there, there's space for kind of like fractaling out <laughs> as you become more whole? I guess? Yeah, I think so. I'm not uh, as well versed in that idea as you are. So I hadn't really thought about it yet. But, but yeah, I mean, definitely what you were saying earlier with the upward spiral and all those things in your life being integrated, I think everything is integrated. And, you know, you might work a little on something that you don't view as related to this other part of your life, mm-hmm. but it is going to affect you. And yeah, and we're very complex beings yeah. and interconnected. So yeah, I yeah. Find myself I trying have to, to think about um, that more. Yeah, toss it in there. I find myself really spending more and more time lately trying to help people recognize how interconnected these different parts of our lives are, um, especially because um, I'd love to hear more about the type of clientele that you've been working with. But I know for me, the last few clients that I've had, they wouldn't work on something really specific right? Like they really want to like make this particular artwork or like get into this particular gallery. And I help with that and we'll talk through it. But I'm also spent a lot of time on like, well, you know, how much can you mindfully pay attention to your present experience? And they're like, what does that have to do with getting in a gallery? Right? Or like, how much can you recognize the physical source of your emotions? Like, where does your emotion show up in your body? And it seems like it has nothing to do with like a particular painting technique. 
But I know for me and when I've worked with people over time, it just becomes so obvious that these like yeah. random, like, why would I t- work on my relationships if I'm trying to get better at singing? <laughs> like, and if you look at the complex, like way bigger scale, they're just so relevant. I'm wondering, <laughs> have you kind of had some of those conversations, like trying to draw these connections for people? Yeah, for sure. And I'll answer that about my clients, but that also just made me think of when I was studying music in college, I would notice that something that was hanging me up on a piece I was working on was like a parallel to something I was stuck on in my life. Yeah, it would happen all the time. And yeah, the music is just like a manifestation of who, who you are as a person and where you are. And you can only express as much as you have experienced and lived and I mean maybe you could argue that you can channel it from somewhere that's a whole other discussion yeah I think that makes a lot of sense I've definitely kind of felt and heard from other people the idea that like our outer world is kind of reflecting our inner world in a lot of ways so for having like a lot of inner turmoil whether it's like anxiety or uncertainty or something along those lines we'll kind of find like our jobs or our projects or our relationships are kind of uncertain in a lot of ways as well, or they're starting to get a lot of tension. And so kind of, yeah, Yeah. there's like a through line where like, if you kind of fix one little piece, everything else will start to align more fully. Yeah. And then like the less metaphorical, the actual tension, if I was feeling anxious about something in my life, I would notice that like my elbow was getting locked into my body too much and I wasn't freely moving my arm enough. And it was like, oh, I'm not feeling free to move about, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, yeah, there's like the kind of conceptual big picture connections, but then there's also like those really simple ones. Like, you just got to relax your arm. You're like super tense. (laughs) You can't play these things. I was really excited, like for both me and I have a few music students. And one of my music students was um, learning a new scale and it was giving her some trouble. And she was like, wait, I'm just going to take a deep breath before I do every scale. And like we, I had like yeah. taught her to do that, but I didn't prompt her that time. And she was just like, yeah. she made a couple errors and she's like, wait. And then like played it perfectly. Yeah. And I was just like, I was teared up. I was like, that's how you do it. It was just yeah. so beautiful. That's a great teacher moment right there. I know. I was like, you don't yeah. need me anymore. Yeah. Deep breathe and learn everything on your own. Now. Yeah. I mean, breathing goes a long way. So answer your question about what types of, what did you say? What types of things do clients come to me with? Yeah. Usually people are coming to me because they're just feeling overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and like that can show up in a lot of different ways, but I tend to work with people who are very ambitious and very type A and very hard on themselves as Mm -hmm. a result. So it's often really new to them that they are allowed to be nice to themselves that I they are allowed to be compassionate people's to recognition of that when they're like wait I can just be kind to me like yeah. sometimes the simplest things can just like blow people's minds like that yeah. in such a profound way yeah well and there's so much tied up in it too because we think that if we don't work really hard and push that in a number of ways like very more literally you could think okay if I don't work super hard I'm not going to make money and then I'm going to lose my house or whatever mm-hmm. which like may or may not be true to the extent that they think it is but then it might like trigger something from your past or like that in order to have your parent 
nice thing to you and like praise you, you had to work hard. So like, there's a lot wrapped up in how hard we have to work, how hard we think we have to work. Yeah. That's been a huge one for me as well. Just personally, I push myself really hard just because I'm really excited about a lot of the work that I'm doing and just find like my plate gets so full that like one of the things I have to push myself to do is also just like not do stuff, (laughs) like just chill, just take a couple hours and just don't do anything at all. Yeah. And that's the next thing I was going to say, like these people also have a lot of trouble with taking a break. It doesn't feel okay to take a break. It feels like you must keep working and they're just completely burned out because they never have the physical rest and they don't have the mental space. That kind of for me goes back. back to what we were just saying about how all these different things are connected. So one of my favorite things that I've been able to use to help people that I've worked with that have a similar problem is recognizing, like we were saying, like relationships can impact like your physical body, which impacts blah, blah, blah. Um, Taking a break can impact your creative output. And that's like, at least in the psychology of creativity research, it's so robust. Like there's so many studies that show like taking a walk or doing a different activity or taking a quick power nap or just kind of getting your mind off of it, letting those ideas kind of seep into your default mode network and just letting it simmer or incubate is so helpful. So I know that's something that's helped me a lot. Like I love taking walks almost every day or I'll just like play video games for like 15 minutes and just kind of knowing like, even though I'm trying to write some curriculum or write some song, even though I'm playing this video game in the background, like my subconscious is still tinkering with it. And if anything, you're processing. Yeah, exactly. That processing is so valuable. So then it like, it's almost like two birds with one stone. Like you get to take a break and you get to feel productive like right. at the same time. And maybe you don't have a tangible end to that processing activity. You're not like, oh, there it is. I collected the idea. But yeah. it was, there's still something happening. Yeah. Totally. My daily walks are like that too. Or they often serve that purpose. And sometimes too, if I have a less structured day, I'll like wait to take a shower like whenever I take a shower is whenever I just need a mental break mm. and then I have a notepad in the shower there they make these like oh, pads, brilliant. and I'll just be like that. scribbling because it'll just that's where the ideas come because your mind is finally quiet yeah I found hiking for me like solo mm. hiking specifically yeah. a lot of times I, I didn't do this on purpose in the beginning, but now it's happened so many times that it's become normal where I'll be working and I'll just be like sick of being at a desk or a coffee shop and I'll just be like, screw this, I'm done. And I'm just going to go on a hike and I'll just be out there hiking like specifically to avoid working. And that's when I have like a ton of really great ideas and a bunch of stuff clicks and I pull out a notebook and I'm just like sitting on a rock <laughs> just like scribbling yeah. furiously like you were saying. And I was like, oh, I came out here to get away from this, but now it's all just bubbling out and it just works yeah I had that exact thing happen to me a couple weeks ago I was I don't know just walking around my neighborhood and there are a couple places where I normally turn around like I have sort of my regular ways to go but there's Mm -hmm. like a lot of very and then I went to this little redwood park near near near-ish my home but like Mm -hmm. that I've only walked to once because it's like just far enough that I always convince myself I don't have time for that (laughs) yeah so I did it and I got there and yeah the same thing I had to sit on a bench because I was like hang on I have all these ideas and I thought that I was like using up my work time because I was walking for longer and I would like not get started as soon but turns out 
I was just ready to capture those ideas and that go. was way more productive than here. Yeah. And I, I love trying to help people recognize that you can like kind of do that stuff on purpose. So many yes. people think it's just like random or if you're lucky yeah. that'll happen, but it's like, now it's a numbers game. Like if you're working on problems every day and you're taking breaks every day, like yes. guaranteed one of those breaks is going to be super fruitful. It's only a matter Absolutely. of time. I had this Same experience. with showing up for your daily practice of yes. what your art is. Like you're not going to have a mind-blowing idea every single day, but if you don't show up to be ready, if it's there, then you're not going to capture it. Totally. Yeah. Um, I had this really interesting experience a while ago. That's like a physical version of this almost where um, I was in drum corps for a little bit. I don't know if you're familiar with like DCI. Um, yeah, like, a friend of mine in college did that and we went to Hershey, Pennsylvania to nice. watch the tournament. Heck one yeah. Year. yeah. Yeah. So I played quads in battery um, and quads are the heaviest instrument in the whole ensemble. It's even heavier than the tubas and it's all like on your lower back. Um, and we're marching like in the summer. So it's really hot. And you're like basically yeah. full sprinting around a football field all day, every day for like months. And so it's very physically demanding. And I remember like early on in the conditioning, we were just, I'm not exaggerating, like every single day drums on like hustling. Um, and I'd gone like maybe three weeks straight without a break at this point. And I finally had a day off and I spent the whole day off just like, watch tv and laying down and like not moving at all and at this point i felt like i was like pretty fit like i was getting conditioned i was like feeling stronger but after that day off the next day when i got on the field my drums felt like they're made of marshmallows and i could like <laughs> i literally felt like i was floating across this field like that one day off just my muscles healed i think that's all it was <laughs> it's like i was just so fatigued that oh it took a full day like all the lactic acid went away and I just felt so unbelievably powerful. Like to this day, I still remember how I felt just like a superhero. And it wasn't because I, that extra day just made me that much stronger. It was actually the, the break, like the rest that I took yeah. made my performance just so much better afterward. And it's really stuck with me ever since, even though that's yeah. like my physical body, just that kind of idea of like, even if you're grinding really hard, taking that break can yes. really kind of shake things up for post-break performance. Yeah. Well, like athletes would never do that. They have a rigorous schedule of workouts and then recovery time. Like it is all very yeah. planned. And, you know, if we look to that, it's like, well, of course we need to do that both for our physical bodies and for our brains. There you go. Creativity recovery days. Exactly. I think that could also be like almost a version of a daily practice or I guess a weekly practice absolutely the, the breaks <laughs> just tie those in there I've been doing that actually on Sundays I used to have a more traditional weekend and I would observe you know the normal weekend because that's what my partner does but now I'm working on Saturday mornings and so I thought to myself okay I can't just have half of Saturday off and Sunday I need to extend my weekend so like now my weekend, because I have a rehearsal on Monday evenings, now my weekend is mid-Saturday to mid-Monday, which is like nice. kind of weird. That counts. But yeah, but since I knew it was going to be sort of hybrid like that, I was like, Sunday is all the untouchable day. I don't do anything productive unless I feel inspired to do it. Yeah. And I take a break from social media and news on nice. Sundays. And it's been so rejuvenating. Yeah, that sounds really good. I almost have to do the opposite. I have to like force myself to like <laughs> look at 
news and social media and like that kind of stuff. Cause it's just like, not, I never want to do it. And it's the opposite. Like you were saying, like you'll work if you feel inspired to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the projects I have right now, I'm really excited about. <laughs> so like <laughs> I still, but I, I love that idea. I tried to do that so many times because my partner also works like a nine to five. And mm-hmm. so I've had like several like periods from like, I'll just do nine to five as well. And it's just so hard for me. My schedule, I just like it so much more when it's like hectic and random. Mm-hmm. It just fits. And like I said, I still make time for those little breaks, but having them like interspersed throughout the day just seems to work for me better. But I'm yeah. also changing my personal schedule. I swear every two weeks, I'm like trying a new way to organize it. And I'm like, this is going to be the one. And then I like <laughs> find some reason that it's not the one. So now I'm yeah. thinking the one is just that it changes all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe there isn't a the that's, one. That's the one. The it's one a tool that's always box. changing. You're yeah. developing a toolbox by trying all these different things. Exactly. Which is actually Plus, really cool. And then yeah. you can choose. Exactly. Plus I, you know, make lots of recommendations or give assignments to coaching clients. So I like to say like, you know, when I was doing this exercise, it's right. like something I often say. Yeah, exactly. You're um, trying but, it so you can recommend it. Yeah, exactly. But I've also got a lot of things that still kind of show up every day, if not every day, then most days, even if it's not the same time every day. Mm-hmm. So I kind of consider those my daily practices and like I can yeah. get into mine, but I'm wondering if you have any like really good daily practices either that you're doing right now or that you've done in the past that really like changed the game for you. Yeah. Well, we already talked about my daily walk. It's been a part of my life for 10 years. Yeah. And is that like and a specific time every day? You know, I like to do it first thing in the morning, but oh. sometimes just it doesn't work out that way. I might have a meeting first thing in the morning or not when I get up early or just want to sleep. You know, it depends on what the day is like. There's yeah. definitely times or like I'll want to run walk and do an errand later or something. But yeah, I really like doing it first in the morning because there's this quiet and I feel that I can sort of like get to know myself in that day better and then it paves the way for the day nicely because I can be like okay what I ask myself what do I need today like that's that's kind of like the cornerstone and maybe what I need is to think about like a work thing and like you know what I need is to actually like breathe deeply on a walk. Like yeah. I woke up feeling kind of anxious and I just focused on my breathing for the entire walk. So like that is absolutely a cornerstone for so many reasons. Yeah. I love that. Uh, that's like kind of the, a big motivator for all of my morning kind of routines as well. Like sometimes I start with meditation. Sometimes I start with um, journaling and like doing morning pages Yeah, and that's kind of the same idea though. It's like, what, how am I feeling right now? Like, where am I at? And yeah. just like, what do I need? And just checking in. Like you were saying, like getting to know yourself in yeah, the morning like, seems to be really valuable. Know? What do I know right now to be yeah. true? Because sometimes you're like, what am I even doing? What is the world? But yeah, I've definitely done meditation as a practice. I have not been doing it as a practice regularly recently, but like that's a great one in my toolbox. And you just mentioned learning. That's... I have a relationship with journaling. I always want to be that person who writes day mm-hmm. in the morning as part of the morning routine, but it's never able to stick. And at some points I was thinking, okay, like what's wrong with me? Why can't I just have the self-discipline to do that? Yeah. But then I realized, okay, if it's not flowing to do that, that's fine. 
I can journal when I need it. But what I've come to, I have this journal. It's, let's see, what is it called? Um, I think it's just called like the new moon journal. Mm -hmm. So it's called like the person or the organization, I guess it's called the moon is my calendar. And so each day you just write a little blur. It's like a tiny box. So it's just a little like, and then there's like diagram. And then in within the circle for the moon cycles, you can track like, was I really tired today? Did I have any, you know, weird physical stuff happening today? What was my mood like? And I've been doing that all year this year. And that's been a really cool ritual just to see, okay, like how did the weather affect my, or just noticing patterns. Yeah. Patterns and trends. That is really cool. Because yeah. I know mine has just been just kind of shotgun shell stream of consciousness nonsense every morning <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, so it'd be really too. hard to sift through to find any like specific I know. patterns. Yeah. And I don't really look back through it that often, but I like to know that it's now like the ritual of just being like, okay, where am I at today? And um, just knowing that that is there. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, cool. Do you have any daily practices around music? I think this is going to be our transition Ah, (laughs) into chatting about music. Because I know for me, for the past like eight-ish months, I've made it a point to really practice piano every day. And sometimes it's just like five minutes or so. Uh, But sometimes I really get into writing and I'll let the piano practice guide my writing experience I guess yeah um and so I know you've been like a really dedicated pianist for a long time and I'm wondering if you still have like your kind of basic everyday go-to practices or if it's now just like so embedded (laughs) in your life that doesn't even make sense to sit down like that um both (laughs) it's been sort of all over the place since COVID because I felt like I didn't want to put too much pressure on that part of my life Mm -hmm. like composing and creating and so I've written like 10 notes this year I actually wrote a few more like last week but I I wrote about this in one of my newsletters a while ago and I was like yep I've written 10 notes this year that's it and that's okay because that's just what happened Um, I go through periods well where I'll be very dedicated to daily practice and then I'll go through periods dedicated to it and it depends on what I'm working on or like if I have certain gigs coming to practice, which isn't really a thing right now. I've done some online concerts, but you know, mm-hmm. things are not happening the same way. Yeah. Or who knows when they will be. I also have done, I don't know if you saw any posts about this, but I've done a hundred day projects. With yeah. Composing. I was going to ask you yeah. about that actually. Cause that to me is almost like, another daily practice, right? Like your daily practice is just to compose instead of just doing an exercise. Yes. And I loved that because it forced me to just write something and to not overthink it because that's the main thing that had held me back before. And it was also amazing because it was like, okay, well, maybe I don't really feel like writing today, but I'm going to show that I would do eight measures a day. I show up and do eight measures. And Mm -hmm. it really matter what came out of it. It was just the practice of showing up and doing it and like we were saying before it's a numbers game like some of it was good some of it was not but like half the stuff that ended up on the album I recorded a couple of years ago came out of eight measures a day eight yeah. measures a day like, I would have so much stuff that I would want to like follow up with and save if I was yeah 
doing a practice like that. Yeah. And so it's a global art project and it starts in April and ends in July. And like if you day project, you'll find it and you'll see all kinds of people doing all kinds of projects. It's very cool. So I did that in 2017, like with the world, but then I liked it so much that I wanted to start another one. So I just a hundred days the year was, Mm -hmm. I was like, I'll just do another one for the rest of the year. Keep going. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. Ride this bad boy out. Yeah. Just felt a lot of pressure to me because until lockdown, it like it feel like the right thing to do. I wanted to leave to be more fun, just only as much as possible. Of course, it's my job too in other ways, but like it didn't feel right this year. But um, been enjoying over the last couple months. I've discovered this website, Open Studio. It's not just a website. It's a yeah, it's like a, a whole course platform. I bought one course on just chord voicings, like jazz thing. That's a big thing I've ago. been working on lately, actually. It's been really helpful. And then there was master class with Fred Hirsch at the beginning of October, and they had, I think they had a discount on like the piano pass. So if you bought the access pass for a month, you would get this master class, and you you get access to all their stuff. You know, on a subscription basis, and that is just like a wonderland of learning. So yeah. I'm keep doing it. So I'm trying the most of October. So I've really been doing a lot of practice with those courses and learning about voicings and just like going into the nitty gritty of this stuff. Because there's a lot of it that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I understand the theory of that, but have I ever actually practiced? things in all keys no Mm -hmm. I haven't and that's that's exactly what I'm working on right now so for a long time I was just producing um what's called like in the box where I would just kind of put all the midi in um with like just point and click into a piano roll and all my synths I would just you know use software and so now I'm really working on getting out of the box and actually writing on the piano or designing a sound and then playing it out with keys Mm -hmm. and yeah just it creates a whole new place for the ideas to come out of. And I've found for me personally, when I'm writing out of the box and like playing with a MIDI keyboard or doing finger drumming, the type of stuff that I make is just very distinct from when I just write it all in using like a mouse and like yeah. a, a keyboard with a, like on the laptop. <laughs> and yeah, 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 it just feels very different. So I've been doing the same thing. Like I literally just got this 12 sided die. Ooh, right here. Uh-huh. And what I do is um, every time I sit down to practice, I'll just do some basic warm ups. Um, but then I'll roll the die, and I always have a circle of fifth open on my computer. Uh-huh. And so I'll just roll the die, and if it's like an eight, I'll just go to like the eighth key in the circle of fifths, and then that's the yeah. key that I practice in cool. for that day. So I'm trying to just get really comfortable improvising in every single key. And voicings is something I'm like, I, I can't believe we just brought that up because that's exactly what my focus is on personally right now. I've been um, going, doing that same key exercise while so I roll the die. And right now I'm focusing on, like I said earlier, speed with my scales and just consistency with eighth notes. Yeah. Um, and then sus chords is this week's focus. Mm. So sus two and sus four. Uh-huh. And already like the song, the only song I've made this week, um, I was practicing way more sus chords in that particular composition. And it's just so dark. 
I, it's so much more tension than anything I've ever made. And I'm like, this is terrifying. And I'm like, well, this is the power of sus courts. Like right? I knew what they were, like you were saying, like I knew what they were, but I didn't like have them under my fingers and like put yeah. them into action as much as I could. So well, especially I'm, I'm if you don't resolve it. them, then they I'm get not real- resolve anything. No, yeah. I think I've got like, I come to home a little bit, but yeah, already I'm like, this is, really scary. And um, I don't think I've shown you some of the music I make, but the sound design I do is very gritty and bass heavy. And I use a lot of granular synthesis and I've been using serum and just like very, they're like considered neuro basses is the style if I had to put myself in a box. Um, So just very heavy and aggressive. And I've been balancing them out with very smooth and sultry chords from like jazz and soul and mm-hmm. kind of having like a buttery but also scary vibe <laughs> I call neuro soul. Um, and yeah, so I had I used similar instrumentation for this last song, but since the chords were also dark and full of tension, I was like, this isn't sultry at all. This is just <laughs> terrifying all around <laughs> in every direction. It's good to find the edge sometimes. <laughs> I found my edge. I might <laughs> jump off of it, though. I think I might keep going in this direction. <laughs> we'll see. So I know um, I've listened to the album that you put out, actually. Um, and yes. I know kind of Brazilian is your kind of go-to. Um, yeah. I'd love to get deeper into kind of stylistic questions and stuff, but I, I got to throw you some low-hanging fruit and just ask how you ended <laughs> up with that particular style. Because I know everyone's got like something like you got to uh, dive into something. You can't be like piano. Like yeah. what, that doesn't mean anything. Like there's so many directions you could go. Right. So many. Did you just roll the dice? Did you just like throw a dart at like a board full of genres? No. <laughs> just land on Brazilian? <laughs> like. No, I, well, I started taking piano, you know, when I was seven and had learned a lot of classical music. And then once middle school came around I auditioned for the jazz band and like did jazz band throughout middle school and high school yeah, same kind of like into it and learned about it via that and then I probably liked Brazilian music then but I didn't really know to distinguish it as Brazilian music like looking back I'm like oh yeah that makes sense why I liked some of those things mm-hmm. but what made me realize it was when I was in college, I took this Latin American music class, just like a survey class that mostly non-music majors took just to have an easy class. But I was like, no, this stuff is awesome. I want to learn about this. And I found myself just sitting in the library because this is before we could download stuff. Mm -hmm. We had to like sit there with the reserved CD or album or whatever and like listen to track five from this one and track three from that one and like whatever the assignment I just would sit there and listen to all of it. I'm like, I don't want to stop. This is all super, super cool. Half of that class centered around Brazil. And so that really planted the seed. And I don't really know why. Like people say like, how did you tell that? You can't really explain why you love a person. You can like sort of name some attributes, but like it's sort of intangible. It just connects. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How how did you, this like Minnesotan of European descent, end up into this like <laughs> funky Brazilian music? But like, who knows? I it just it got me, and it just really spiraled from there. I just wanted to learn more and more and more, and 
I came back to Minnesota after I graduated and learned about this Brazilian drum group and joined that and then started nice. going to California Brazil camp and learning more. So just like you're in the game now. Yeah. yeah. And that was that, that college class was 17 years ago. I still wow. feel like I still have so much to learn and there's, isn't yeah. it crazy how it's endless? I was watching yeah. a video yesterday on uh, vocal processing chains <laughs> in Ableton. And my partner was like, are you watching another tutorial on making music? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> yes, it does end. Because I watch like two or three tutorials a day for like the last like, yeah. five years. I'm like, I have so much to learn, dude. It just well, yeah. doesn't stop. It's insane. Yeah, There's so much out there now. And I'm pretty sure that you would agree with this, but like, I will never be bored ever in my life. Like that's actually one of the reasons I think (laughs) I became a creativity coach is because I like when I was younger, like in high school or even undergrad, I had a really hard time understanding how people could possibly be bored. I just have like, like you were saying, like you just found Brazilian music and you were like, yes, I just have lots of things like that that yeah. just get me really excited. So like I am constantly trying to find more free time so that I can do the things that I want. And yeah, yeah the people that are like, oh, there's nothing to do today. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and so um, when I started studying positive psychology though and started to get into the research on flow and like how that works and how you can get inspired, like intrinsically motivated to do something that's just one of the things kind of like Brazilian just spoke to you, like positive psychology just spoke to me where I'm like, yeah, that's why people aren't constantly like excited to do all of these crazy things that we can do. It's because they, you know, haven't been inspired or they haven't found like the right intrinsic motivation or they haven't been able to balance their challenges and their skills in a way that gets them deeply engaged. And so kind of helping people figure out, like, actually I just did a workshop last week. Um, it was my first virtual workshop that I designed. Um, cool, I've done a few for like other companies that were a lot, a lot of people in the outdoor education industry are trying to move virtual because, you know, nobody's going outside in groups anymore. And a yeah. lot of places are just trying to do the same things that you would do with a group out on a trail or on a challenge course virtually. <laughs> it just has not been working. And I it think has so. been very bizarre. And a lot of growing pains and very really difficult. So I was really reluctant to even do virtual stuff because um, for my coaching, I do one-on-one like virtual coaching through Zoom, but yeah, I blend it with ex- expeditions. So every time I finish a theme or like a month or two of coaching, my client and I and whoever makes sense for them, whether it's a family or friends or coworkers or employees, uh, will go on an adventure <laughs> like and do like whitewater cool. rafting or mountaineering or... Um, rock climbing or mountain biking and something like that and so that kind of stuff is huge for my coaching practice and then I do one-off workshops but they're like I've done like nature photography for learning about the creative process or rock climbing for learning about flow and all these kind of things and so with all that shut down it's been really hard but I did my first like virtual workshop after doing the ones that I didn't like trying to figure out like what would really resonate with me and it was on this exact topic, like um, this company, all their employees are having a hard time figuring out what to do. Like they all felt really listless. Like they liked their jobs, but outside the job, they were like, we just sit around and do nothing. (laughs) And so they hired me to like help them figure out like, well, how do you know what it is you want to do? Yeah. And so I called it like 
joy, hope, and fun in the era of COVID. And it was all just cool. kind of figuring out like, what do you know about yourself? What do you know about your own body? What do you know about your own self-concept and the roles you play and the environment you're in? That would give you clues to figure out what it is that you'd really like to do. So almost like helping them do what you did with Brazilian music. Cause like, well, how did you feel when you listened to these different styles, right? You could have like completely glossed over the fact that Brazilian music just resonated with you so much more <laughs> than like yeah. classical or like Afro-Cuban or something like there's just so many other ways. And so I was helping them recognize like how much stimulus they want and like, you know, the kind of concepts that resonate with them. Like, do you want to do intellectual stuff? Do you identify as an athlete, right? Do you identify as someone who like goes outside a lot or stays inside a lot and just help them like sift through all this nonsense and start to like find clues as like, maybe I would love kite flying now that I think about it. (laughs) And just like fostered a bunch of brainstorming. Yeah. Has that ever come up with some of your clients? Like like you were saying, a lot of your clients already have something that they want to do, want to work on. But have you ever had the opportunity to try to help someone figure out what it is they want to do? Like before you even get deep into the creative process and flow and alignment, like what do you even do? Yeah. Like I was saying, a lot of my clients come to me because they're feeling overwhelmed and they have too much stuff to do. Mm -hmm. But often that's at the expense of their own creative work. So it's sort of like helping them reconnect with what they really want to be creating. Mm -hmm. Like it's not so much that they don't know what they want to be doing. Like they're pretty sure that like they teach too much right and they want to be playing their own flute more you know like they yeah, kind yeah. of they really like have an idea of like what the activity is but like how to get reconnected with it or like how that to find sense. that spark of you know what will make this feel fun for what will make this the lowest barrier to entry if it has seemed scary and hard to start doing yeah. again, cause it's been so long and they built that up in their heads or whatever. So sometimes going back through some of those fun things like from childhood or other creative things they like doing. Like I often uh, encourage people to go back to like, I don't know, maybe they really used to like baking and they stopped doing it. You know, even if that's not as creative in their minds as like, playing the flute or whatever it is yeah it can really spark something because it's all interconnected like we were saying like i started weaving lately and that's been super fun like weaving baskets no just like making wall hanging type weavings out of yarn yeah and it's fun because it's very tactile and yeah so i have to say that like you have to play with your hands yeah and i it takes me away from holding my phone <laughs> or a screen. Like that is the best thing about it is analog. But it's like small enough to be a short thing that I can finish quickly and I can experiment with it, even though I'm pretty new at it. And it's mm-hmm. sort of that sweet spot of like, I can have fun being creative with this, but also not feel a lot of pressure to like make sure it's good. Yeah. That's another thing too. That's huge. That people I've been trying about. to do that with um, Photoshop. Uh, just like getting in there and just like making shapes (laughs) and experimenting. Eventually I'd love to make all my own album art, but. Uh Uh-huh. So you start from like, you're not editing a photo or. Oh yeah. I've been trying to do, um, so I've been using Adobe Illustrator actually. I've done a few things in Photoshop, but uh, yeah, I really want to start from scratch and just make like abstract shapes 
And cool. I know there's a lot of people that are really good at it. I follow a lot of like visual artists and in the electronic dance music community, there's a whole like profession of like a visual DJ. So like yeah. a lot of artists will have like uh, either a crew or their own person or some clubs will have like visual DJs. And it's even got to the point where now um, on bills, like hand bills and like the promotion materials, you'll have the list of music DJs, but then you also have the list of V DJs and like who's doing the Whoa. visuals tonight is becoming a whole thing. Yeah. And some people are just so insanely good at making crazy visualizations that are like completely abstract and just full of texture and depth and it's not like things you and it's way beyond like itunes visualizers or like kaleidoscopes like we're just in a whole new era of like what you can make that you can look at (laughs) and so i'm just like dabbling in that space just trying to make like abstract 3d shapes like you were saying it's it's a lot less pressure than music because Although I try to keep my own music making low pressure, it's still like really tied to my identity and my career. And, you know, I've got all this training and experience. So I'm like, it should be decent like if I make it musically. But since I have like virtually no training in visual arts and it's just for fun and I'm not relying on it for anything. Yeah. Kind of like a way to dabble and play. Yeah, you're free to play. Yeah. That's very cool. Also, I don't know. If you've hung out with kids anytime recently, I guess definitely not recently, but a lot yeah, of not my recently, career, but yes. <laughs> have anyone recently. I've taught yeah. many of them. There you go. Yeah, I found um, a lot of my career has been working with kids in tons of different contexts, and they've ignited some of those childhood loves that you were talking about where I forgot that I even loved it. Like uh, this past summer, I was playing Foursquare with a bunch of kids, and I was nice. like, I forgot that in elementary school, I was like a four square god like i floated <laughs> i owned the playground i was like the number one four squarer in my elementary school that was my game like that's who i that's was awesome. i was the four square dude and i just completely forgot that that was a thing like did you come up came. with a million like special rules and yes stuff? we had like, so many like no part. high towers and like oh double bounce and like you can't do the underhand unless it's your second turn and like yeah, yeah all kinds of those and yeah, after like fifth grade, I just never played Foursquare again until I'm like a grown ass man now. And I was playing yeah. Foursquare with these kids and I just like, it was like putting on the crown after years. It was all dusty and I was like, wait a minute. I know who I am. It was like uh, in Lion King when they're like, who are you? <laughs> like, yeah. I was realizing <laughs> Mufasa was coming down. He's like, you are the Foursquare King. Uh. And, oh man, it was great. And I would have like, yeah, now if there's like Foursquare around where I live or if I find like a Foursquare team, <laughs> or something i'll totally join start it <laughs> i might have to be the one <laughs> to get i mean kind of perfect social distancing the That's square just like a six i think you could get, make this happen right now <laughs> i gotta make some calls yeah. okay, i gotta go <laughs> <laughs> this is over <laughs> oh my gosh um but yeah that kind of stuff has been really fun what i've been focusing yeah. on instead of four square those is roller skating i keep mentioning this i've been oh. roller skating almost every single day and cool it's, I think it's totally impacting my music in a way that I kind of anticipated before, but like, I, I find myself now, like this has only just happened because I started roller skating heavily in the last couple of months, but the last couple of weeks, more than once I've sat down and I'll be writing some drums and I'll be like, in the back of my head, it's, I feel like it's barely even conscious. It's just like a little whisper. It's like, could you skate to this? 
<laughs> which like never crossed my head before. And so I feel like people can expect a few more groovier things coming out because now I've been like the music that I listen to really influences how well I skate and how comfortable I feel on the wheel- wheels. Interesting. Very, very interesting. I feel like Chopin would appreciate that because he had that quote that like, if you can't dance to it, you can't play it. Ooh, I can't believe I've never heard that one. I say that all the time as like a drum teacher. <laughs> it's I so bet. hard for yeah. people to get it. I'm like, I've had so many students that are like confused because I'm like, wait, before you play, bob your head to this metronome, like feel this groove. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll have my students like count themselves it. off. They'll start playing. I'm like, no, no, no. I need you to give yourself like one, two, ready, go. And yeah, feel that pocket. And I'm constantly like, that's how I know how to drum. That's how I learned how to drum. And so many times, especially if I'm doing like a workshop with new people or I have a new student, they're just like so confused. Like, why can't I just play the music? And I'm like, nah, you got to feel the music. So yeah, maybe Chopin would be really good at roller skating. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't know if... I would be able to do like the wheel part. I'm just like not very sports oriented. I would just probably mm-hmm. fall down. But uh, <laughs> fall <in a> lot. <laughs> walking the rhythms, yes. A friend of mine this game called Dance Revolution for piano students. Like made after like Dance Revolution that was in uh-huh. all the arcades back then. Yeah, like, it's still going. Like, one of my friends built one from it? scratch. There's still oh, lots whoa. of arcades. Like people are really into DDR. It's like oh, a whole thing awesome. still. And it's come, it's become vir- uh, virtual and virtual reality. Have you heard of uh, Beat oh. Saber? No. Oh. Okay, imagine DDR where like you have to hit like the lights at the right time in the right direction. But instead of stepping on the up arrow, you're holding two lightsabers in virtual reality and you have to slice a box that's above you or Whoa. slice a box that's to the left or to the right and you have to do it to the beat. So Whoa. you're just like, shoo, shoo, and you're hitting it. And it gets super fast and it's to like really intense music and it's like the 2020 version of DDR. So yeah, it's not Whoa, going anywhere. So you said your friend made like level. a piano version of DDR? Yeah. Well, it's, it doesn't really have to do with piano necessarily. It's just for practicing rhythms, but it's mm. basically, it's basically a four square shape on the floor that she made with tape. You know I'm in. And then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're in already. And you know, just number them one, two, three, four for four beat measure. Then you just have to step what's in each beat in each box. Whoa. Yeah. And it's so perfect for those kids who can't sit still because mm-hmm. you're like, all right, come over to the box with me. We're going to like step this one. <laughs> yeah. And then if they got a lot of energy, you're like, all right, we're going to do eighth notes really fast. And just 30 second like, notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. BPM. And it's, it's so, so cool because it's so helpful for them to like, physicalize what they're doing but it's also great for just like burning off the excess energy yeah that's awesome all right we're coming up on an hour and i want to be really respectful of your time but there's also something we haven't talked about yet that i'm really really interested especially because we were saying um like we're a rare breed of musicians mixed with coaches yeah um and one thing i've been working on basically my entire professional career and that i'm still working on i feel like i'm just starting to get grips with this is kind of blending the two careers together. So for most of my adult life, music was one thing and psychology or outdoor education or positive psychology was a separate thing in my coaching now. Those are all kind of like one camp in my head. Yeah, And they've been just two pillars 
for so long. And so many people have told me like, choose one or choose the other. Like you have to you know pick one. And it's just never even been an option. I'm like, I love music. I'm going to do it every day. I love psychology. I'm going to study it forever. And I love teaching and helping people. I'm not going to stop doing that. So like, there's, I just really held on to the two. And only over the last year or so have I even been able to link them in, in any way. And that's when I've started to recognize myself as a creativity coach. I used to market mm-hmm. myself as like a positive psychology coach, which is still mm-hmm. kind of like vague and I guess a little bit jargony. And so the more I started to recognize like creativity is really what I want to focus on and creatives are the people that I resonate most with and the creative problems and creative opportunities are what I want to work on most is when they they started to come together and just like experiences and practices as a musician were now so relevant to coaching because I'm like coaching people through these ideas of like, you know, getting started and sustaining projects and how to finish projects and exhibiting them to the world and dealing with resistance and all the stuff I've already been doing forever. And it it almost became like a part of my coaching training, right? As a creativity coach is like, yeah, I I took classes in psychology, but I've also like performed as a professional musician and they were different, but now I'm like, that's proof, (laughs) you know, like evidence that I am an effective creativity coach is that I've been an effective creative in a sense. And like I said, this is still just like just beginning to come together for me personally. And I'm wondering like if they were ever separate for you or like how you've bridged the two for yourself and just how they interact together. That's a really interesting question that no one has ever asked me before. Thank hey, you for asking that's what we do here. question. Yeah. I, love <laughs> it. I think I never really thought of them as separate because I was a musician, you know, forever. That was my identity forever, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And I think that coaching just kind of grew out of music for me because I've always been a person who is pretty dedicated to personal growth. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I was my first client, wow. my own first client. You know, so like knowing that I had to work through burnout and anxiety and overwhelm and all of these things and sort of not just knowing how I worked through it, but also knowing that it was a huge problem for so many people and that there's an entire culture around, you know, work till you drop yeah, and that there doesn't have to be. I think just what I was experiencing for myself made me realize the need to spread that message and that people need help with this. So I think it grew out of what I was already doing, but I, like we were saying before, there's not that many of us who bridge the two. So it was sort of an awkward thing at first to be like, well, okay, what are coach, what are creativity coaches doing? They're like yeah. painting and stuff. And like, what, what even is this? But yeah, I've never really thought of them as super separate, which that's interesting. I never really yeah. thought about that. Before. I think your the trajectory you described feels very like authentic and a, a really reasonable way to get into coaching and the kind of, um, stories I've read or interviews I've listened to or just other coaches I've spoken with, especially in the creativity coaching space. It seems like that's where most people kind of come from. Like, I know I've been a little intimidated, even in some of my coaching classes. I'm almost always like the youngest person in these classes for whatever reason or workshops. I've done. You and I seem to be like pretty close in age, but I know a lot of coaches are like in their forties and fifties and like, uh-huh. 
just like really seasoned professionals, especially like executive coaches and like business sure, coaches. Sure, yeah. Like I've been a CEO of 10 companies and now I'm yeah. a coach. So a lot of uh, creativity coaches seem to be like, I've been, you know, an international best-selling gallery artist for 20 years. <laughs> sure. And now I'm like, oh, I should help people with this journey. And yeah. so it, it makes sense. But or you look at someone like Eric Maisel, who has written like 50 yes. books. Yes. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of his. I've got two of his books I'm reading like simultaneously at this point, And I've been in a workshop with him. But yeah, he's like the quintessential, like I've yes. written a thousand and ten books. I think yeah. I can coach you on how to be a writer, right? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so I felt like maybe that's part of why I've had such a struggle kind of blending the two is because I got really into psychology and coaching when I was like 18, right? And so I didn't have like a full music career, so to speak. I mean, I'd, actually, I'd competed mm. and like done a lot of musical things and had a lot of accomplishments even when I was 18. But at the time, I wasn't like my musical career is so successful. I should teach other people how to do it. I was more similar to you in the sense of like, I was just very fascinated by well-being and growth. And I was just like, that is so cool. Kind of like the way you're describing like Brazilian music and you're like, what? This is a thing? I can learn yeah. more. That's how yeah. I felt about positive psychology. I was like, wait, there's a science of happiness and like engagement and like mastery. So like mm-hmm. uh, mastery and um, resilience were some of my first two things I got really, really interested in. And my undergraduate thesis was on friendship formation. Oh, so I was just like obsessed with fascinating. like, yeah, it felt, I thought it was super fascinating, but it wasn't musical at all. Like I was taking classes on developmental psychology and leading outdoor adventures and helping people connect with their natural environment and with their communities. And then I would go make music. <laughs> like just had nothing to do with each other for so long. But now that I think my music career is getting a little bit more successful and I'm learning more about creativity and like the psychology of it and I'm seeing like, whoa, I'm like really creative. <laughs> like I can see yeah. a lot of creative accomplishments. I think now it's starting to like really click for me. Um, cool. Plus it's really cool. I, this is another thing I want to talk to you about as a musician because I've been able to see so many parallels across mediums. Like, like mm-hmm. I was saying, like so much of Photoshop, I actually already know because I know how to use Ableton. Not a lot. Mm. There's a lot of difference, of course. But certain things like grouping things together and Mm. kind of like layering certain things. And like one of my friends is an advertiser in San Francisco. And so he does a lot of graphic design. And yeah, something like the problems he'll have. I'm like, I've gone through that same thing, like composing music. And it's just so cool. And I'm um, working on coaching some people who want to become authors and so like dealing with your identity as like an author or an artist yeah. and getting started. And like you were saying, like daily rituals and how we build on them, it, it transfers across all these different mediums. Which has been all really the nice. elements too, like just the literal elements of music or art. Like my mom's a visual artist and I'm mm-hmm. a very visual person too. So I've always kind of thought about the, the parallels there, but like wine, texture you know yeah. like the literal yes. elements it's they're so all, crazy there's parallels yeah it's like exactly. and I'm always looking for those because I feel even though I'm a musician and that's such an auditory thing like I'm almost maybe more visual than auditory which is kind of interesting yeah so I think about that a lot that makes sense especially I've been um kind of getting much deeper into the audio engineering side <clears throat> of music oh. um uh-huh. I've been interning at a recording studio and just like mixing things down, mastering things and processing vocals and that kind of stuff. 
And a lot of audio engineering is actually very visual. Like you use a lot of visual meters and monitor things right. like looking yes. at spectrums. And so like you could do a lot of stuff without actually hearing <laughs> anything. Like obviously you always want to rely on your ear and that's kind of like, yeah, the idea is like they're helping you. But yeah, like looking at EQs and spectral analyzers and limiters and meters, like it can be a very visual process. For yeah. Sure. Well, editing my podcast, I find that a lot too. When go. I'm looking for levels, I, I don't need to worry about sound as deeply as I would with music. So sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I can see that like it's maxed yeah. out that they clearly like yelled something right there. So you <laughs> know, in my life. Sort of, like, visually scan. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Also, there's one more thing I wanted to talk to you about because I actually haven't sure. really spoken to anyone about this yet and I'm like painfully excited about it. And so maybe you can geek out with me on this. Um, cool. I, like I said, a lot of my writing experience has been just in the box, just writing inside of, I started on FL Studio, but Ableton has been my go-to for like six years or something. Um, and I do get outside of Ableton now by playing out my chord progressions or like lead melodies. And I usually do like, MIDI controllers for my drums, although there's still an insane amount of processing after I play stuff and I do a lot of synthesis inside the box. So I'm still very much inside the box, but I've been trying to really recognize different roles that I play. So like I said, audio engineering is a new hat that I've been putting on and that's just so different from being a producer, mm. which is way different than sound design, which is another huge focus of mine. Um, so just making this raw sounds from scratch, synthesizing them in different ways. And Foley Artist is another hat I've been putting on. I've been doing lots <laughs> of uh, sound collections, like sounds of a forest where it's raining. And I did a bunch of like beatboxing sounds and Foley around the house. So I've just been putting on all these different hats. And one hat that I've been hesitant to put on properly is the hat of composer. And I know mm -hmm. that the word composer comes with a lot of baggage and I know you wrote about this recently and yeah. I read I read what you wrote and I was like really excited because that's something I was also dealing with and so with all of that in mind what I did just this past week was I this sounds really simple maybe it's only crazy to me but I've never actually done it like this I went to a park and I sat down with a bunch of sheet music and I just started writing the way I would in Ableton um but I didn't have any instruments with me. I didn't have my computer and I just had a pencil and paper. And I know how to read and write music, but I've never taken it that seriously. Like a lot of the stuff I've written has either been for like drumline ensembles, mm -hmm. um, which is way different than the music I write now. Um, or it'll just be scribbles on the margins of my notes. I used to like write little grooves when I was in lectures uh -huh. all the time. Um, but this was the first time I was like, I'm going to compose a proper song. And I just sat in a park and I started out with some drums, wrote out a bunch of drums. I wrote out a bass line. I wrote out um, some chords and like some little ideas for like ear candy. But all of it was just coming from my head. I didn't, I didn't even beatbox anything out. I didn't like sing anything. I literally just stared at a piece of paper and wrote it out. And I cool. had an idea of what it would sound like, but I wasn't super sure. And then mm -hmm. I came back the next day and I wrote it all into Ableton. And I took off my composer hat and I put on my sound designer hat. Uh -huh. So I tried to stay really true to what I wrote for the most part. Like I just really put in what I wrote and then tried to make it sound as cool as I can. Like I made all the drums from scratch, made all the synths from scratch and just did my job as like the best sound designer. So were you surprised? I was At shocked. what it 
it like? was like, amazing. Was it what you wanted? It was better than what I wanted. It was oh, so great. cool. It was so cool. And like I told you before, like my sound changed when I started playing things out instead of just like point and clicking things out. This was like another source. Like this sounded different than when I play things out or when I write things out in Ableton. I just wrote this out on a piece of paper. So it was all coming from my head and I didn't have the influence of the MIDI keyboard or the influence of the sound of the piano. And it sounded yeah. like it was still like me as a musician, like it still sounded very hot cocoa-esque. Mm-hmm. But I could tell like this wasn't written the same way and it sounded really good. Like this is, like my girlfriend said, this is one of my favorite songs that she's heard from me. That's very cool. I know, and I was like, approach. I was astounded. And I was like, this whole time I could have been doing this. And it was just a little exercise. Like it was an afterthought. I was going to the park anyway. And I was like, yeah. I want to work on music. And I was torn. I was like, should I stay home and work on music or go to the park? And I was like, I'll just do both. both. And this is, yeah, I just do both. <laughs> and that's how it came out. And I don't know. I'm still just like enamored. I can't wait to finish it. Right now it's still like a 16 bar loop basically, but I'm going to turn it into a full composition for sure. And so that is a very long-winded way of introducing how you've kind of come to identify as a composer. And I'm just curious if you've found different sources of writing like this, like I said, in the box versus playing things out physically versus just writing them out mentally. Like what are your kind of go-to way of kind of making music comes about, especially as quote-unquote composer? Yeah. Um, I think my main go-to is just sitting at the piano and playing something until I get a snippet of something that I like. And then I write that down and kind of go from there. Sometimes I won't write anything down. Sometimes I'll just record myself so Mm -hmm. that like, I don't have to get bogged down with pulling out my pencil. Although then I have to sort of like transcribe myself, which is more work. Yeah. And might sort of like make me lose the thread of what I was thinking about. But yeah, it kind of depends. Sometimes I'll have something that is like fully fleshed out melody and chords. Sometimes it'll just be a melody and I'm like, oh, that's a cool melody. I wonder how I could harmonize that. And so that's sort of its own exercise. Or sometimes I'm like, oh, there's a cool chord progression. I wonder if I could improvise something over that. So I come at it from those different ways because I'm Mm -hmm. thinking so much in terms of my two hands at the piano and their different roles. But I've also had moments where I was walking to meet a friend at a coffee shop and I got something in my head and I was like, oh, I need to stop and write this down. And I have this little like moleskin notebook with staff paper in it that I just sort of keep in my bag and it's tiny. So I had that with me and I just pulled it out and wrote what I thought I heard. And like you, it didn't, exactly sound like what I thought it would but like I had the gist of it it was Mm -hmm. good enough nice the weirdest one was that I dreamed a baseline and I remembered it in the morning yes I've had that happen to me too I can't tell if I dreamed it or if it came about like as I was waking up in that hypnagogic state but yeah yeah. this past summer that happened to me like I usually don't write music right when I wake up I'm like groggy and I like want some tea or coffee or something yeah no this morning I woke up and I could like hear it in my head and it was like so clear and it was for a song that I was writing that didn't have a bass line yet and I just like knew what it was and I like jumped out of bed and brushed my teeth I just went in and wrote it and I was like, that's, that was it. And it was like what the song needed. And it like just emerging from unconsciousness was yeah. like the right time. 
that's the only time that's ever happened to me. And I also think, I mean, I asked my doctor this and she's like, I don't know if that's a side effect, but ever since I started taking an SSRI, I remember my dreams in crazy amounts of detail. And I credit that with me being able to remember the exact notes <laughs> of this baseline and remember it started on That'll C do it. and like, yeah. So it's like, thank you, serotonin. <laughs> like it, clearly that had some role. The main key for creativity right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and then that became the baseline that was sort of the underpinnings of the trio I was writing. So it was great. Thanks subconscious brain. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm going to add that to the list. Like you could play it out. You could write it out. You could like physically write it out with a pencil or you could dream it out. (laughs) Yeah. That (laughs) one's less reliable, but you could dream it out. It is a technique. We've both (laughs) done it. So go ahead and try it. Get into lucid dreaming and just like compose a whole sonata like while you're unconscious. That would be amazing. That's my next step I'm working on. Ah. (laughs) that's something i gotta start working on that all right we've talked about a bunch of super cool stuff and i just want to give you the opportunity to share anything that you're personally working on right now and how people can kind of find that and connect with you yeah absolutely so if you go to rebeccahaas.com that is my music website but there's a little landing page where you can branch off to my music site or my coaching site which is coachingforcreativewellness.com and i do one-on-one coaching packages with people. And I have a little ebook called Fuel Your Creative Work with Compassionate Productivity, which is all about helping you structure your day and your to-do list in a way that actually works for you. And if you're one of those people who hears the word structure and is like, I don't know, it can be anti-structure too. It's it's to make productivity work for you and change with you as you change because we don't have the same energy every day we don't you know we're constantly changing so that has been a really cool resource that I developed this summer and I'm also maybe probably developing some kind of course group program related to compassionate productivity coming in 2021 so hop on my email list if you want to know about that yes and you can get to all that stuff from my website so thank you well i'm a big fan i really appreciate the work that you're doing i think we gotta get more of it out there Thanks. Um, and I'm really glad we got to Hopefully this isn't the last one. I feel like we just yeah, absolutely. Like, started a bunch yeah. of threads. We got to go Right? Down. So yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Anytime. Heck yes. <laughs>